They are missionaries in the Philippines. And as you know, missionary work is exhilarating, exciting work. It can also be dangerous work, sometimes tragic work. In recent times, they lost two members of their missionary team in a tragic accident. It's my good fortune to be speaking with Dwayne and Wendy Harris. I'm John Bradshaw, and this is Our Conversation. Dwayne and Wendy, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking your time. So you're in the Philippines now. Where? Where in the Philippines are you? We're in, on the island of Mindanao, which is a far south big island. Right now, we have been over most of the country, but our current place we reside is Mindanao. Okay, so what, when you say you reside, mission, are you, are you living in a, in a windowless hut? Uh, <laughs> tell me something, describe your, your physical location. Where would we find you if we came to visit? Well, we are an aviation ministry, and we are living on the campus or on the property of Mountain View College, which is a well-known Adventist college there in the Philippines. Okay, yeah. Where we've built an air base, so we have a hangar there and a little house to the side. Okay, so you fly, you fly around the Philippines. Hey, let's back up. Before we talk about your work there, your aviation ministry in the Philippines, and I'm hoping you can tell me at least one good mission story, Let's talk about you. We'll start with you, Wendy. What, what's, what's your background? What led up to you being a, a, a full-time missionary? I actually grew up in a missionary home. Oh, yeah. So uh, my parents have been missionaries a lot of my life in different countries in Asia, mostly. So where did you live and, as a kid? Um, I was born in Hong Kong. Also spent years in uh, Bangladesh, Singapore, Philippines. Okay, so you got around. And evidently you caught the bug and it's stuck with you. You served as a missionary when you were younger, maybe a teenager. Is that correct? About that time? As a, uh, with AFM, yeah, I you served, with AFM? um, in, I wasn't a te- I was already graduated from okay. college actually. And so, uh, soon after I graduated, a couple of years after I graduated from college, um, that was my plan to go be a missionary for the rest of my life. I went to Nepal and because of visa reasons, I had to leave after seven, seven months or so, uh-huh. and um, then God called me to the Philippines, where my parents were already serving. Okay. I was with AFM, uh, so in a different area. But uh, Do, so do you have to be a resilient sort of a person? I'm thinking this through, <laughs> and you know I ask about the windowless heart, because, you know, that's, that, that's, we read mission stories as kids, or some people read them while they were kids, and missionaries in far-flung, desperate places. But does it make you a resilient I think what I'm wanting to ask you, does much surprise you now? You went to Nepal, you were all over Asia, and I, I'm not suggesting it was the, the most grueling of lives, but boy, oh boy, from a cultural perspective, it was something new every it's morning. very different. Does it make you a very adaptable person? Yeah, I think it does, for sure. So if we yeah. dropped you down in some challenged corner of the world, of all people, you might be the one that's going to stick it out Maybe better than your average, better than um, your average ab- American person, um, person yeah. that comes straight out there. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, how about you, Dwayne? Were you were you raised as a as a in a mission family? Well, I was raised in an Adventist home on a farm uh, ranch in Montana. So, as a kid, what were you going to grow up to be? A farmer? Well, that was what I knew. 
Yeah. Farmer, cowboy. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't, <laughs> didn't work out very well, I guess. I mean, th- that, that, that plan didn't work out. What happened? Well, I had always had an interest in, in aviation, you know, airplanes and stuff growing up. But I kind of lost that, I guess, focus on where to go with life um, as I was getting into college and stuff. And I was pursuing the cowboy um, rodeo bull riding oh, is that right? thing for a little while. But then God kind of got my focus switched back on aviation and... Um, kind of a long story, but God opened the opportunities for me to be able to use aviation in missions. Yeah, this is good, but let's go back. You were a bull rider for a while? I was. Now, those are some tough guys, but I don't know where tough ends and crazy begins. Um, what's it like climbing on the back of a bull before they open that gate for the first time? Uh it's it's an adrenaline rush. Yeah. That's what, what I guess is the attraction of it. I'm just wondering, so are you an adrenaline guy? I, I know you were in the National Guard for a while, learned to fly helicopters. Flying helicopters. Some people fly kites, you fly helicopters. Some people ride bicycles, you were riding bulls. Some people have, have office jobs where everything's predictable. You're living in the mission field where much is unpredictable. So are you... Are you wired a certain way that makes you a, a likely candidate for mission work? I'm, I'm a risk taker. You are I a like risk-taker. taking risks. Yeah. Okay. I see. Some of that's probably good do, doing what you're doing. Well, and when you can make those risks for the Lord, it's better than just making them just for the sake of adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. So you came into mission work. You learned to fly helicopters. Doors opened up. How did you get to the Philippines, of all places? Now, Wendy, you said your parents were there, so that was that was a, a gateway. Actually, AFM called me there from Nepal when I had to leave Nepal. Okay, okay. so you they, went there as a missionary, mm-hmm. and you had a family connection. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. How about you? Well, I was flying helicopters for the National Guard, and... Um, and and, and a, thank you for your service, by the way. Through a series of, I think, divine providences, God got my attention, kind of focused back on my relationship with Him, which mm-hmm. was lukewarm at best. And um, after I got that focus shifted back on the Lord, I just really was praying and asking God to show me, you know, what He wanted to do with my life and. Um, I don't know how long we want to <laughs> go into the story of of my experience with the National Guard, but God got me out of the National Guard before I was supposed to be and opened the doors it, it immediately thereafter to go to the Philippines mm-hmm. and start an aviation ministry. To do mission work. Yeah, fantastic. Now, before long, we're going to ask you about a tragedy that occurred um, involving people you knew and loved and, and knew very well. Mission work can be really dangerous, mm-hmm. can't it? In the old days of mission work, I, I mean, the, the Scottish missionary John Patton went to what was the New Hebrides, today Vanuatu, cannibals and 
all kinds of strife at that time. His wife and child died. And back in Scotland, there was a whole gaggle of people who put their hand up and said, we will go. Mm-hmm. We will go. Mm-hmm. So risks may be a little different today, and they're not all the same all, all around the world. But when it comes to mission work, I understand. I'm sure you have to be adaptable, and you have to know that, man, anything can happen at any time. Maybe that's life, but in mission work, that seems to be true. So why did you choose to go and, and start a ministry? How many years have you have has your ministry been established? Um, I went over over 16 years ago. Okay, so you've been up and running for a time. And you, you're not coming home anytime soon. That is home, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you've, you've signed up for this. This is a, this is a, this is a life. Mm-hmm. Um, what goes through your mind when, when you sense that? Why do that? Like you signed up, basic, things can change, but you signed up for the rest of your life on the other side of the world, far from your families, far from the creature comforts you grew up with. Why? I've done a lot of different things, you know, in my life growing up and occupation-wise and stuff. And I enjoyed them, you know, flying helicopters in the military, riding bulls, various other things I've done. I enjoy doing them. But there's nothing that has led to the fulfillment and satisfaction in life that I've done that compares to serving God in the capacity, you know, as a mission pilot and more direct front lines ministry. So, so Wendy, somewhere back there, I mean, you went to college, you got a degree, you had parents, you'd be, you'd be raised in the mission field essentially. So mm-hmm. maybe you're leaning, you're leaning in that direction. But as a, as, a, as a young woman, you know, you're looking ahead at the rest of your life and you're saying, you know, I could get, get a nice career and drive nice cars. And it's not just about the stuff, have a very settled and predictable lifestyle. Mm. I'm going to ask the, the question, same question I asked your husband. Why would you do that? Uh, you're, a, you're a ministry, I mean, how, how you, people donate, correctly, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. So, so you're, you're, you're financed that's risky. That could, that could dry up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What, what switch flipped in your mind that said, this is the right thing to do? I'm not intimating it's the wrong thing to do, mm-hmm. but it's certainly a rare thing to do. What, what, how did things line up in your mind to say, yes, this, I've got to go and step into this very unsecure, I don't mean insecure, but unsecure, uncertain existence? I think the knowledge, um, you know, understanding how much of the world does not have access to even knowing who Jesus is and, you know, having this access to a wonderful, abundant life. And for me to just be at, I, I was not satisfied. I'm not happy in, in a, you know, a, a normal life in the U.S. With, with that knowledge. So I think that was a big thing for me is just, you know, and I, I had the background of being comfortable in, an, in another country, and ha- not met, there's not that many people maybe that are are willing and able to to go to another country. So I I really felt called by God to to go and help and serve also less fortunate people. As a nurse, I I would I wanted to help people. Yeah. You you felt called by God. I did. So so, so I want to hear from both of you. Uh, explain that. What, what, what's that like? How do you recognize that as the voice of God? How do you know you're called by God? You could have been 
out of your mind. <laughs> uh, and clearly many people serve in various places around the world, and so this is not a unique experience, but I'd like you to kind of put into words what it's like to hear that call, consider that, mm-hmm. and then know that is the voice of God. How, mm-hmm. how do you arrive at that? When you're in God's Word studying and seeking Him, God typically will guide, you know, with circumstances. Mm-hmm. And if we're praying and asking Him to guide us and open the doors for the direction He wants us to head, if we keep following those open doors, He'll lead us wherever that might be. Wendy, in your experience, was there a moment, and, and I don't know if your pathways were different, you were raised around mission work, so it was clearly mm-hmm. less foreign to you than to Duane. But was there a moment that you felt, this is really God calling me? Was there a moment or was it more like a process? I think it was more of a a process. Uh, I do remember trying to decide my last couple years in academy uh, what career I was going to take. And at that time, you know, praying um, if, if, because my parents didn't, tell me I needed to be a missionary or no. encourage, you know, they, they were um, letting letting me decide what I wanted to do with my life. And um, I started looking into the medical field and um, praying if God wanted me to be a, a missionary. And anyway, long story, but I finally chose nursing for the purpose of, of having the kind of a general um, practical uh, skill I could use to help people in the mission So when you field, went to so college, yeah. mm-hmm. you enrolled in nursing. I was planning to be a missionary. This was it. Yep, that was this it. is God's mm-hmm. call. I'm, I'm, I'm getting skilled so I, can, so I can go do this work. Okay, so tell me, tell me what you guys do down there in the Philippines. What do you do? Well, we operate small aircraft, um, both helicopters and airplanes, into the remote hard-to-reach areas, supporting both logistically with supplies like the AFM project, um, and we do a lot of medical evacuations. So the helicopters we use in the mountainous areas because you can't, um, no airstrips, terrain is too rugged to be able to put in any kind of airstrips. So helicopters are the only option other than walk. And then the airplanes, there's a lot of small islands scattered out around that are, you know, anywhere from a four to 24-hour boat ride, you know, out to the nearest help. But they have, like, small grass airstrips on them. So, but no other airplanes typically go out to those areas. So we service those with the aircraft and, um, and you know, we're kind of the lifeline for anything that's serious because they don't have anything but simple clinics. Now, now, as a missionary, are you just helping churchy people? There's a there's a church member out on Island X who has a ruptured appendix. You got to go get that person, or are you helping everybody? We help anyone and everyone. Mm-hmm. So you really are the lifeline. Yeah. What 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 would happen if you guys went away? They'd have a lot of more people dying because they don't have, can't get off the island to more advanced medical care. So your mission work is literally saving lives. Mm-hmm. Give, give me an example. Wendy, how about you? Give me an example of, of, uh, of, a, of a situation, oh, either of you. Tell me, tell me about a situation. We'd love to have an idea what that looks like. A lot of, of the medical stuff we do actually are pregnancy complications. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. 
you know, a woman goes into labor, she can't deliver. The, you know, clinic there doesn't have the capacity to do a C-section. She can't get off there, you know, sometimes within hours. She's going to die, maybe, maybe the baby too. Oh, well. So, you know, being able to get them off, you know, quickly and get them transferred to another hospital that they can perform a C-section or something similar to that. Yeah. There's been other cases, you know, even guys out fishing with dynamite, which is illegal, but they'll blow their hand off or some other thing and... Yeah. In the mountains, it's usually more malaria, typhoid, um, sometimes falling out of trees or. Oh, well. Um, but they often wait till they're really, really, really bad before they'll call us. And, yeah. yeah. So this is, this is a literally a life saving mm. ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Are you busy, some busy, always, too busy? How, how, much, how much work is there for flying missionaries? Well, we're always busy. It's not always the flying and the medical, but there's a lot of other things and aspects to our ministry aside from just the aviation and the medical side as well that takes time and um, work. Yeah. So have there ever been times if you've just said, I'm done with this, I want to go home? Does it ever get, does it ever get frustrating? <laughs> I guess you've been there long enough to go home would be... To remain where you are, but has has it? Have you ever had those moments where you've said, "I don't know if we can put up with this any longer," or you might maybe maybe the better question is, "What are the real challenges that make a missionary's life difficult in your context?" I have never seriously considered leaving again, or leaving. There's times you we know, wished, <laughs> yeah, 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 that we could leave, or yeah. yeah. But really, you know, we've. The Philippines is a very easy place to work overall. And, you know, yeah, there's some bureaucracy and challenges, you know, you deal with with the government at times. And oftentimes, I guess some of the most challenging things have been just keeping everyone getting along. Yeah. So in a moment, I want to ask you about something that that happened that has to be very, uh, my guess is difficult to talk about. You are uh, an aviation ministry, and things go great as long as things go great. When things don't go great, the potential is there for things to go really badly. And something happened in the not-too-distant past that went really badly, and a couple of lives were lost. So we'll talk about that in just a second. Thanks for joining us with Dwayne and Wendy Harris. I'm John Bradshaw. This is our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. Among Jesus' final words to his closest friends was a commission to take the gospel to the world. What would he say to his friends today? Don't miss To Seek and to Save. Join me for reports and insights from around the globe and see what God is doing to reach the lost with the good news. We'll visit It Is Written mission projects around the planet and you'll learn how you can participate in growing the kingdom of God. Of the 8 billion people in the world, almost 6 billion are not Christian. And it's said that 3 billion people alive today have never had the chance to hear the gospel. It's time to seek and to save 
and inspiring look at the power of God to change your life and the opportunities you have to lead someone to salvation. To Seek and to Save, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations, brought to you by It Is Written. My guests are Dwayne and Wendy Harris, missionaries in the Philippines. They run an aviation ministry, a life-saving aviation ministry. As I mentioned a moment ago, things are great. Flying is wonderful as long as it's wonderful. But when you're flying, if something were to go wrong, things can go really bad. I, I, I wonder if you would walk me through what happened where... An accident occurred. Two lives were lost. Take me back to that day. Let's sort of relive that as much as we can. Well, it was March 1st, and um, I was in Mindanao doing some, actually going to pick up a little dozer someone had given to us. And I got a call from one of our pilots there in Palawan, our, one of our other air bases, and told me that um, Daniel, the helicopter pilot there, had not returned from a flight. He had made a flight down to the furthest South Island that he ever would go to. It's Malaysia right after that. And so he'd made it down there and was on his way back. And we all as pilots carry these GPS trackers. So they send out a position report every 10 minutes. And it had, he was about halfway back when that quit sending out position reports. And so Andrew, the, our other pilot, he was an airplane pilot, he had been monitoring that and noticed that it had quit, quit sending out position reports. And, you know, that's not always an immediate cause for concern. You know, maybe the battery went dead or something, but you know, he was overdue time-wise. He still should have been back. And um, Janelle, a nurse that was working with us, was also on board with him, and he had picked up three people, a patient, her sister, to accompany her, and her husband. And they were coming back to the hospital there. And, so five people in total. Yeah, and Andrew asked me what I thought he should do, and I told him, well, if, you know, get an airplane ready, and if they're not back within another 30 minutes, take off and go out and see if you can see anything from the air. What goes through your mind? You've done this a lot. You've flown at a very high level. Um, you're an expert and experienced pilot. The tracker stops sending signals, and he's late. You know that there's a continuum He's perfectly fine. The worst has happened. When you assess that situation, where's the needle in your mind? Well, I don't get immediately concerned because, you know, other things can happen. You know, maybe he had to divert somewhere and land or something. Okay. So, you know, the initial minutes, I'm just kind of, you know, I start praying that God will be, you know, with them wherever they're, whatever's going on. And then, you know, Andrew went out with the airplane shortly after and started looking. By the end of the day, you know, he went out there four hours in the air, just circling back and forth, combing the whole area, 
where that last position report had been sent out by that GPS tracker. At the end of the day, he calls me back and says, you know, we didn't see anything. At that point, you know, the likelihood that something really catastrophic or bad happened, I, you know, is up here. So, so, so at that point, I'm going to use the word no. You know then that the worst had happened. And you know what I mean when I say no. There's always yeah. hope. You're holding out hope. Maybe he landed someplace, but he's going to call. You're going to get the pings. Was that the moment that it, the realization came to you, this is bad? Yeah. yeah. You know, that something clearly had happened. And, you know, we, of course, try to do training, um, you know, on how to get out of an aircraft if you have to ditch it in the water and stuff like that. And everyone was wearing life vests, you know, that were on board the aircraft. That was kind of something we did, you know, with everyone. And yet, no, you know, not seeing anything or anyone. Where do you start to look? They were, they were flying over the ocean. Right. It's, it's a, oceans are big. Where do you? How do you figure out logistically? How do you figure out where we should be looking? Well, we looked at a current chart, figuring well, if they went mm-hmm. down here, where would they drift if anyone had gotten out? And so that evening, I marked out, you know, some different areas, and we all converged. So we have five. We had four airplanes, and there was another ministry that had an airplane that came down. So we marked out five different areas, you know, that we would each fly kind of grid patterns and search real thoroughly. And in the morning, we all converged on the area and searched those areas. How big an area were you searching? We had them marked out um, like 20 square miles each. We We would fly fly back and forth like one mile um, one mile legs one mile apart so you know at a thousand feet you should be able to see anything out there but you know as we're flying out there you know a thousand feet off the water looking and you don't there's nothing out there but water it's like it seems like there's no way we would find anyone even if they were out there. And, you know, I was just praying, Lord, the only way we're going to find anything is if you can direct, you know, our eyes to where they're at. Were you expecting to find something? I don't know if I was expecting, but, you know, of course we're hoping and praying we would. Yeah, yeah. So I'm aware, too, as we talk about this, there are people listening who, who... family of of the people who were lost it's got to be tremendously difficult to 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 hear i expect and to to relive but this is um this is this is real life and tragically tragic things happen so you're searching you're convinced now that the worst has happened are you were you convinced yeah we were hopeful hopeful, prayerful but you're you're experienced Right, and you know we continued doing everything we thought we we could do, and kept up these aerial searches. You know, covering everywhere, even down into Malaysian airspace. You know, in case they drifted down into the Malaysian waters, 
and um, we got connected with the U.S. Embassy had an airplane with Ford looking infrared on it, and they came out two two days in a row. You know, and you can see anything if there's body heat out there, and they didn't see anything either. Ultimately, what was what was found? What was recovered? Well, some fishermen found a pair of shoes that was identified as belonging to the nurse Janelle that was on board, and a pillow which was identified as the patient had brought along with them. And that was it? That was it. Why so little? Well, that helicopter, there's basically nothing on it that would float. It's, it's a metal tube frame, so nothing on it that's buoyant at all. And, you know, there's not even, like, panels or anything that could potentially break off in a crash that would float. Like, And if no one got out of the aircraft, there would be nothing that would float. So very little was found, and you come to the realization that five lives were lost, including two people you worked with. Um. Of course, for the family, that the families of Janelle Alder and Daniel Louis, that can barely imagine. Let me ask you what it's like for you. You knew them. You cared very much for them. You worked with them. You've lost two colleagues. How do you process that? Well, I guess the way I, the way I, I guess process it and deal with it is trying to keep you know an eternal perspective on mm-hmm. things you know this life everything in it is temporary you know even if you leave a live a hundred years it's you know it's still temporary that's right it's not long in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things and you know if you know if someone dies in the lord in god's service you know the next thing they're going to be seeing is christ coming in the clouds so while it's a loss and, you know, we miss them in the service they were doing, yet we know, you know, it's only a matter of time before we see them again. And Tell me about these two young people. When did you tell me about Janelle? I never knew her. I know people who knew her, but I didn't know her personally. Tell me about her. What was she like? I didn't know her very well. She was a new missionary, just had been a few months and in a different project. But I had uh, communicated with her a lot through because uh, she told us well in advance that uh, she was actually dating one of our pilots, Andrew Hosford, and so they were both very careful to let us know about that, and she was asking if she could join our ministry. She was with AFM in the mountains where I had worked for many years, and so I communicated with her, and um, I also was able to um, watch some of the documentaries that God had provided, which is just so nice to be able to see um her work with AFM and the smiles and the care that she had for her patients and the commitment that she had to long-term missions inspired me, you know, mm. even um, before this happened, but even after this happened and the more we learned about her, um, even though she was younger than me, it's like a hero to me as well. Mm, yeah. mm, mm. She, so she, she was had special. A, she was special. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Tell me something about Daniel. Daniel... I got to know Daniel, I think, in 2012. He came over with a couple other guys and helped put a 
roof on our hangar that we have at our North Luzon base. And then he came back in 2015, early, right after God had provided us with another uh, red R-44 helicopter. So I trained him in there for the work in Palawan and left him there to do the work with the helicopter there. And so he'd been with us eight years. Mm. And, you know, he did a great job. Um, I That he flew, the, there was basically a thousand hours left on that helicopter when we bought it, when he joined us. And he flew that time off it and then God had provided another helicopter that we kind of replaced that with, which was the one that went down the yellow Alouette helicopter. And he'd been operating that for about three years. He was very familiar with the machine. Mm -hmm. He was much more familiar with that one than I was. And, um, yeah, you know, he was a good pilot, experienced pilot. So let me ask you this question. I couldn't find the helicopter, so nobody could determine the cause of, of why it went down. Why might it have gone down? What, what are some of the reasons that a helicopter might come to grief like that? Well, mechanical is one thing, you know, some mechanical malfunctions. There's a lot of moving parts on a helicopter, and, you know, you do your best, and there's, like, life, a time life on a lot of the components and stuff, you know, that you replace to keep something from failing but the reality is thing mechanical things can fail unexpectedly so possibly mechanical um you know weather was one thing but it didn't seem like weather would have been an issue in that case so you know we can only guess but if i was to guess i i would guess something mechanical failed anyone who flies in any context understands there's 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 risk involved there's risk involved mm -hmm. then when you operate a ministry dealing with aviation and we're in the midst of what we refer to as this great controversy between good and evil mm -hmm. this this world's a theater that there's evil warring against christ and everything he stands for um the likelihood of loss i mean it, it's something that you've just got to live with mm -hmm. is it something that missionaries like worry about today could be my last day something could go wrong you, you ever worry about that as, as an aviator i don't personally um i suppose some people do you know there was some of our pilots i think that was on their mind a little bit after this happened mm -hmm. just because you know when you lose someone that you've worked with and flown with I guess you re it brings home more our, our mortality, mm -hmm. you know, in this life. The fact is, too, life is risky. Mm -hmm. um, I remember asking a missionary in some dangerous place, are you safe there? He said, you live in the United States. Are you safe there? Yeah, right. And given the, the, the crime rates and so forth that, that we live in the very midst of, there's no way that's, that's without risk. Right. How do you communicate news like this to family? Well, I think this, I'm trying to remember, but of course this went out on social media very rapidly. Mm. 
almost without our control. So um, we tried to communicate directly with the families. And then God provided other connections here in the U.S. that helped, helped them be able to buy tickets and things and come over and visit. And, you know, as part of the grieving process, that's necessary. And, you know, of course, we were praying that something might be found just to help with closure. But while it never has been, um, you know, God has his purposes and we don't always understand what those are, why he allows things to happen the way they do. Do you have moments where you say, here we are, we've left what may have been a comfortable life behind if we'd chosen that to come and serve you, Lord, and now this? Do you ever have those moments? Did people in that circle have those moments, you know, where you look at God and shake your fist a little bit and say, how could you have those moments? I don't think so. I mean, we didn't for sure. Um, I didn't really get that from any of our other missionaries either. You know, I there was a lot of prayers going up around mm-hmm. the world, I yes, know. Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of that was due to prayers. You know, God can give us peace and trust in Him, especially when you have a lot of people praying you know, for you in the situation. Times like this test your faith, don't they? And what I mean by that is this. We know that all things work together for good. It doesn't mean everything is good. Yeah. But in all things, God can still be glorified. For you to be operating a ministry and then to go through something like this, I, I, I don't want to put the emphasis in the wrong place. The emphasis is on the families who've gone through terrible grief and unimaginable loss. Um, What did you hear in the ministry context? What, What encouraged you through this to believe all things do work together for good? I'm not saying what good came of this. I think that would be a tacky thing to ask, and I don't mean to ask that. But how did you see the blessing of God even in a really difficult time? Well, as you know, as we're out there searching, praying, you know, we weren't getting, of course, any direct answers to our prayers to find someone or something. And yet it was just evident that God's hand was guiding this whole situation from the beginning in a lot of ways. There was no negative um, media publicity ever through the whole thing. Oh, there could have been, yeah. There could have been. Yeah. There was no anger, bitterness from the family, like that the th- lost the three, the patient or sister. And yes, and I, and I don't want to forget them. That's another yeah. family that went through something terrible. No bitterness from you know that family. In fact, they were speaking... Um, positively about you know what we were trying to do as a ministry and stuff and helping them so they weren't blaming us god was providing financially for some huge financial needs during that time um you know we were hearing feedback from people around the world saying you know this has got people coming together and praying together and and we've seen it 
be an influence in um, getting more people to go out and serve full-time in foreign missions. Many. A tragedy has prompted more people to serve. Mm -hmm. You might think the opposite would Mm -hmm. happen, that people would say, I can't do that. But it's actually spurred people to want to get involved in serving the Lord in a mission context. That's very encouraging, isn't it? That's very positive. We know that God can bring great things out of tragedy. What I want to encourage people to do is to wait to heaven before we start assessing what all of those things are. When we get to look back on the big picture, then we'll be able to see clearly. Right now, we may not be able to see clearly, but we can believe because God assures us. Well, there's a lot more to your ministry. I want to talk with you about the exciting things that are happening now, what are you got going on in the future, and how God is continuing to lead you. With Dwayne and Wendy Harris, I'm John Bradshaw. This is our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. Have you ever wondered if you're good enough to be saved? It's a common question that has discouraged many people, but it doesn't have to discourage you. Taking a Stand is a powerful five-part series presented by Pastor John Bradshaw that will help you discover the assurance of salvation. Call 1-888-664-5573 to order the Taking a Stand DVD or download it from our web store at www.itiswritten.shop. Jesus offers salvation as a free gift to everyone, including you. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. Dwayne and Wendy Harris operate a ministry in the Philippines known as PAMAS, P-A-M-A-S, PAMAS. Philippine Adventist Medical Aviation Service, there is a lot to it. And I want to talk with you about the rest of what you do. You fly. We've talked about the aviation. It's life-changing and life-saving. You described PAMAS as as a lifeline for many of the islands where there's no other options. You get up into the mountains. Otherwise, you've got to walk for days and weeks, maybe. Days and days, that's for sure. So what else do you do? You, you, you are around the Philippines. So, so where and how? Well, early on in the ministry, God opened opportunities for us to be involved in stuff outside of aviation. And I just pray, Lord, if you open these things up, you know, give me the faith to step forward and take these opportunities. So we started the ministry in Palawan. That was where that yellow helicopter was and it disappeared. So that's the most developed area. And We've gotten into schools, um, simple schools in the mountains. Uh, there's five of them now. Operating schools. Okay. Yeah, for the, you know, indigenous people that live up. And it's it's a long hike for them if they're going to go down to the government schools. And yeah. So what typically lines. happens if they're way up there in a remote place? What typically happens if it's a long hike? My guess is they just don't go to school. Is, is that right? Sometimes they'll find places to stay down in the in the lowlands. So they have to be um, separated from their families for right. a long time. Right. Okay. Uh, they get into the bad habits of the lowlands. And yeah. um, Sometimes they'll try to hike back and forth over rivers and dangerous, you know, even when they're little. Oh. So it's dangerous and it takes a long time. And yeah. yeah. Or they just don't go to school, many of them. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 so what, what kind of people are we talking about here? Uh, what do they do what, what, occupation wise? They are farmers and subsistence farmers. Subsistence farmers. Yeah. Yep. 
Okay, and they're just living up there to support themselves. Mm-hmm. They have their way of life, yeah. and that's that. What would that look like to somebody like me coming from the West? That way of life, what would it look like, Wendy? It is very, very different. Is it? So, um, Primitive? Living in, um, yeah, the, the typical, what you think of the hut with the grass roof and very small one room with the whole family, with the chickens running around. They have one pot, one machete, one change of clothes if they're lucky. Um, very simple lives. Yeah. So you're ministering to people in, mm-hmm. in those kinds of regions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're providing education for people who otherwise wouldn't get education. Um, now, my understanding is you, you have more than one air base, mm-hmm. right? So how far, how far are they scattered? Well, the second air base is up in North Luzon. It's about 450 miles to the north. Okay. And then third air base is in Mindanao. It's about 400 miles to the east of Palawan. So it's kind of actually in a triangle um, as far as distance goes. Yeah. And we have a fourth new one um, near Manila. It, it was an already existing airstrip and stuff, so it didn't take a whole lot of infrastructure to do anything there. It was just kind of placing a plane and pilot. So are you saying that in other places you had to get in there and, and even develop airstrips? Right, yeah. We built them from nothing. So putting in airstrips, building hangars, housing, all you know, you know, just because it's, it's, it seems to me that, that putting in an airstrip not that easy. I mean, is that? I mean, is it is it simple or is it complex or is it really complex? Well, it's not it's not real simple, but it takes a lot of work, and usually you have to have heavy equipment, and dozers, and how long are the airstrips? Um, two to three thousand feet. Oh, they're long enough. And what kind of planes are you flying in there? Um, most of them are single-engine Cessnas, Cessna 182s, 206s, 172s, 180s. And you, you're a mechanic. My guess is having a similar kind of plane makes it, from a mechanic's point of view, a little easier? Yeah, all the single-engine Cessnas, are, the main design is very similar. So while they have different capacities, it's still everything is kind of modeled the same on them. So. Okay, so now we've got aviation, we have education. What else? We have a bunch of Bible workers that we sponsor and that have done multiple church plants um, in different areas. Let me ask you this. You're in aviation ministry. Why? Okay, Wendy, explain what a Bible worker does. Not everybody knows. Basically, they go out and meet the the community and um, become friends and um, offer to study the Bible with them. Okay. Take time with them until they know about God, and if they decide to make a decision for God, then you know, like a, a group of people start to to um, gather, and a church plant begins. Okay, okay. Why, why in the world do you guys do that? You're down there flying planes and helicopters. Seems to me that that's a full time job. You, you've got some schools that you're keeping ticking over that we're providing an education to people who otherwise wouldn't get one. So this is this is not merely an aviation ministry. This is very much a gospel ministry. How and why did you get into uh, sponsoring Bible workers? Um, early on, when we were developing our first air base there in Palawan, they were doing an evangelistic series, and they had sponsored some Bible workers for a few months. 
And then, you know, they had their series, and then there wasn't any more funds. And we thought, these guys need to keep doing what they were doing. And so we stepped in and started um, supporting them. And we've continued doing that and, you know, picked up more and more over the years. How has that grown? Roughly, how how many Bible workers do you have? I'm sure that number fluctuates, but how many are we looking at here? I think we have six or seven now. All right. Maybe ten church plants. Ten church plants? Approximately, yeah. Well, that's pretty exciting. (laughs) Planting congregations. There's been almost a dozen already. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Now, now, how, how long do we keep going? How many other strings on this bow are there? Well, we have a missionary training center that we're developing. Where is that? Is that in Mindanao? North. That's in North Luzon. North Luzon. And for the, for the uninitiated, the island of Luzon? It's the far north island where Manila is, and it's yeah. the big north island. That's the big one. So what is gospel missionary training? What are, we, what are we doing there? Well, teaching them um, basic skills um, with agriculture, with there's kind of different tracks, but with, you know, simple medical, medical missionary type stuff, mechanic construction, and teaching them how to go into a community and use those skills that can help the people and connect with them. And then being able to share spiritual things, you know, do Bible studies yeah, and fantastic. stuff like that. Philippines is a place where, where the, the church is very active. There's a lot of evangelistic outreach. Um, in fact, while, while we sit here uh, and it is written, short-term mission team is either leaving or is very close to leaving for the island of... Mindanao. Mindanao. And they'll be there doing all kinds of things for the purpose of sharing Jesus and calling people to follow him. Um, as you guys look into the future, and I don't know how far ahead you look, I expect as an organization you have a short-term uh, view and then maybe some long-term plans. If, if there were no impediments to you doing all you would like to do, what would you like to do? We'd like to set up another air base in the Visayas, which is the central part of the country, um, you know, to accomplish essentially the same thing, but, you know, using the medical, emergency medical evacuation services to open doors. I mean, it's, it's done amazing things. Um, we, there's one area where the only access is by air boat. It's actually the east coast of Luzon. It's cut off by a mountain range. No roads go across there. So the only way quick to get out is by plane. And there was a, the church work has struggled, really struggled in that area. And there was a new pastor they put over there. And this was soon after we had a plane that we had based full time there. And he was praying, you know, what he could do to really connect um, with the people there. And he was convicted that he needed to work with us closely. And so he he called and talked to us and talked with the local clinic and government and stuff. And so if there was ever any any emergency medical needs, they would call him. He would call us. We'd fly over. And he was always there, you know, to help with the patient transfer into the airplane and to meet him coming back. And over a few years, that completely broke down barriers in that whole community. 
And he was telling me, he's like, you know, I don't ever go out asking people if they want to study the Bible with me. He's like, people are coming to me. Hey, Pastor, when can you come visit us? We want to study the Bible. How fantastic. And there's been well over 400 baptisms over the last like three or four years in that area. And he has like eight or nine different little groups that he's studying with scattered out through the country. Magnificent. And there's not roads, so he's walking a lot of these places. How funny. How, how funny. Go, go ahead, Wendy. He attributes that that work, you know, going forward finally to the aviation work. Yes. He's, yeah, and, and we just see how this creative type of ministry can open doors that... Uh, well, it does open doors, doesn't it? Yeah, you get an yeah. opportunity to minister to people's mm-hmm. needs and, and, and deeply held, desperately felt needs mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. I mean, helping the sick, mm-hmm. opening doors to another world for, for what I mean is to the rest of the world for a variety of reasons. It's not small stuff. This is big stuff. Big stuff. <laughs> yeah, Lord has been blessing despite challenges. Okay, I've got to ask you this because we only have about five minutes left. I want you to tell me a mission story from the Philippines, preferably involving Pamas. Tell me a mission story. Tell you a story. It wasn't it wasn't us personally, but it was one of our other pilots and his wife. Yeah. Okay. So at our North Luzon base, they were still, you know, making connections with different areas that needed. Um, you know, the medical evacuation services that we can do with the airplane. There's a little group of islands in between Taiwan and the north end of Luzon. They're very small islands. And they have a commercial flight that comes in there, but they won't carry seriously ill, you know, medical patients because, you know, I don't know what all the reasons are, but um, we wanted to go up there and, you know, offer, you know, our services. You know, if they have any needs, they can call us and we'll come up there. And So Ray had asked me, you know, when he should go up there and try to have a meeting, you know, with the mayor and the people up there. And I told him, well, I don't know, just pick a day when the weather's nice and, you know, pray about it and go up there and see what you can learn. And so... They prayed and picked a day and flew up there. And um, the airport's right, you know, in the middle of the town pretty much. And they walked over the municipal hall. And there wasn't, there was only like a couple people around. But they talked to a secretary and who was asking them, you know, what they were wanting, who they were wanting to talk to and stuff. And so they told him and. So he disappeared for a little bit and came back with another guy, and that guy asked him the same thing. And and he was like, wow, this is amazing. He's like, come, follow me. And so he took him back up to this room where they were have, everyone was gathered having this meeting. And he's like, okay, tell everyone, you know, what you're here for. And, and so they did, you know, explain, you know, about the ministry and we do medical evacu- emergency medical evacuation and stuff. And the mayor, he was like, who told you to come up here today? And he's like, well, no one, you know, we just prayed and came up. And he's like, that's amazing. He's like, you know what reason we're having this meeting right now? We've had several people die recently because we couldn't get them off the island. And we're trying to figure out how we can 
how we can transport emergency medical cases off of the island. And so it was clearly God was, you know, divinely guiding the timing of these things down to the minute almost. It was really amazing just, you know, how God made that connection at that perfect time. When you put yourself out there to be used by God, God uses you. And when you need a miracle, God so frequently provides, and you've seen God's hand working all over the place. Okay, so people who want to support you, how do they do that? Well, we have an organization we work with um, called Angel One, and they're a nonprofit both in the U.S. and Canada, and they're supporting, um, you know, a, a channel for donations to go through and. They're supporting us a lot of ways, you know, with the aviation aspect specifically of yeah. our ministry. Okay. But I, I still want to know how, how people can support you. So do we go online or do we find you in the yellow pages? You tell me. We have a website, palmasmission.org. Palmasmission, P-A-M-A-S mission.org. That's right. All right, so they'll find, find you there. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And any other avenue? And the Angel One has a website. It's angelonline.org. I Is it Angel, the number one, or A-N-G-E-L-O-N-E? O-N. Okay, angelonline.org. And there people can help you out. Hey, fantastic. So you're as enthusiastic about missions as, as you've ever been. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes the devil tries to discourage you, but just keep looking up and God is always there to bring that peace and encouragement that we need. He is always there. I wish you the very best. Dwayne Harris, Wendy Harris, thank you. This has been a great joy. I appreciate you taking your time. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Always fun to have you here and I hope you have been blessed from Pamas Missions. They are Dwayne and Wendy Harris. I'm John Bradshaw and this has been our conversation. Mm-hmm.